You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Let the kids make their way out of here. And you can go ahead and be turning to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to pick up in verse 23. We're also blessed today. I just found out before the service. Uh, the man that introduced my parents, Mr. John, in the back, back behind Mr. Jerry here. He actually introduced Jeff and Sheila Parker back in the 70s. <laughs> so, yeah, we appreciate that. Without that, I may not be here. All right, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but if you hear me accidentally say Paul, just go with it. We'll just I'll try to say the writer of Hebrews, but it, it gets tough. All right, and then after such a moving and I think just, a, like I said, a moving worship service, we're going to go with a pretty practical sermon. And I want to go ahead and just give this preface out there. I'm only going to take what I see in the Scripture and just say how I, how I believe God meant it in the book of Hebrews. And I don't have anybody in mind. I'm not, don't make, is he talking about me? No, I, don't, I never thought of anyone about this, okay? So I'm just going to say what I believe the Scripture teaches, and then God can tell you whatever he wants to tell you. So we got that out there. Also, I'm going to throw out there that I believe that Southside as a church is the healthiest that it's ever been. And now there's been so many times that people thought it was on the ropes, you know. They, they thought, well, they're not going to make it this time. That, one, that family left. They're not going to make it. Or, you know, he's, he's thinking he's going to fill a church with a bunch of homeless people, and he's going to be able to make the bills. But at the end of the day, God is blessed continually as the word's been preached. You guys have been obedient, and we are a testament to what God can do if a church will just full throttle go in what God calls them to do. We weren't supposed to be here, but I believe we're here and we're the healthiest that we've ever been. So let's talk about that. Because we have that, I believe, that health, I believe we're a threat. We're a threat to what the enemy has out there. And we have an enemy. We have somebody that does not want, Kanya, he doesn't want for three generations of your family to be sitting in here praising God together. He doesn't want that, all right? Bell, he doesn't want your boys all lined up there worshiping with their hearts. He doesn't want it, right? And because of that, I believe we know that we will be attacked. That's going to come. And so this is just a practical way to be able to protect against some of that. I've talked enough. I know how annoying it is, like, if the pastor, like, the preacher keeps talking while you're standing. You're like, Ugh, can you just read the scripture and let us sit down? And a lot of times I, I feel like I need to help my dad. So I'll be out there like, oh, okay. And you never seem like more of a whiny baby when you're like, can we sit down, please? I've been sitting in Sunday school. I'm beat. All right. But let's, uh, let's, let's uh, read the scripture. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Um, at the beginning, the writer of Hebrews has talked about how animal sacrifice isn't enough. That the sacrifice, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ had to happen for us to be Christians, for us to be saved. And so now he's moving on with that thought, and he hits verse 23. He says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, 
but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And then I'm going to throw this last verse in there. We're not going to even get to it today. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. That's just to make sure you're awake. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for this, this group of believers, God. Um, we are all just indebted to you, God, for saving us, but then also, God, bringing us together. And so, Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to sit together, to listen to your word together, and to act on what we see in this passage. We pray us all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. You know, we get to this, uh, like we said, we get to verse 23, and he switches to this in my, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope, right? And some translations, yours may say, let us hold fast. <clears throat> and it was like God knew that with the success of the, and the growth of the early church, there were going to be things that came to try to move it off course, to get you to loosen your grip, to get you to sway from the way. Listen, the Christian the, the, the religion of Christianity in the New Testament was referred to as the way. It is the way, and the enemy wants to move you off course. And so the writer of Hebrews says, hold fast, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And he goes on to talk about, if you're Christians, hold on to it. If you're Christians, strive. If you're Christians, hold fast. And then I'm going to skip 24 for a second. We're just going to focus on 25. He gets to this place where he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. In some translations, in my translation, it says, not giving up meeting together. And so whenever we look at this passage, we have to say, like, well, what, is, what are they forsaking? And so a lot of us, like, think about it. Just picture in your mind, what did the early church that the Hebrews that were getting this letter, what did they consider church? What was the meeting? What was the gathering of themselves? And if you're like me, it's like, well, did like Pond Lake have a Jerusalem campus? Um, no, uh, not yet. I think like somebody from Pond Lake hears this message like, hey, you know what? We could use a Jerusalem campus. Um, Anyways, and so, yeah, yeah, there's not a Pine Lake Jerusalem campus. And if we want to know what the early church looked like and what he was saying they shouldn't forsake, then we probably need to go to Acts, where it all starts. Acts chapter 2, we'll flip there. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And remember, a ton of people have now been saved. Remember, the day of Pentecost has just happened. Peter addresses the crowd. Over 3,000 people become believers. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with the awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers, verse 44, all believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So if we want an idea of what the early church originally looked like, we would look at Acts chapter 2, and it gives us kind of a diagram of what they did. So we see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We know that they were constantly met daily at that time. And what happens a lot of times, you'll hear people, they, they want to say what they believe the early church looked like. And so if you listen, most of the time you're going to find when people say that, they, are, they have a model of how they want to do church. And then whatever they want, the, how they want to do church is how they say the New Testament early church did it. So if somebody's a house church person, which I don't have any problem with house churches, you'll hear them make a statement like, you know, we really felt like we needed to look at what the early church did. And we wanted to restore and get back to where what we're supposed to be doing as believers. I mean, there is this like kind of nasty sound of, Every other church that's not in a house church is not doing what the early church was doing and needs to get back to that. So there's that. The question also would be for that person, if they want to be back just like the early New Testament church, what house did 3,000 people meet in? At the same time, we have 3,000 folks that get saved. And I don't know about you guys. There's maybe one or two people here whose house is big enough. Brian, looking at you, bro. I'm just kidding. <laughs> His house is not big. But what house did they meet in? So obviously it wasn't you had to be in a house. And then the other question is like, hey, well, if you want to do it like the early New Testament church did, you want an Acts 2, 42 through 47 church. Well, y'all, do y'all meet together daily? I don't know. Also, have you sold your possessions and your land and made sure that nobody in your church has need? I, here's what I think. I think some people are crazy enough, but you know what we have? When in actuality, they just ran the person off with need. <laughs> like, we got them out of here. You keep your property. Um, so there's issues. Whenever somebody says what the early New Testament church did, they, usually it's a loaded thing. They want it to reflect their model of church. And just to get into some of the history of it, my brother-in-law, Matt, is, he's, a, he's a student at uh, a seminary, whatever. Anyways, he's getting his master's. And so I called to ask him about church history because I wanted to hear, like, what does the church, what did it actually look like? And so this is what we know. That all of these Christians that just got saved in the beginning of Acts, all of them, most of them, were former Jews. We know that after the exile, that a lot of people, they didn't do temple worship as much as they started. Synagogues started popping up in all their different communities. And so a normal Jewish person before Jesus would have gone to synagogue probably once a week. And a synagogue would have had prayer, a reading of sacred text, a sermon-esque type thing, like a sermon-type talk, and worship together. And so they're impacted by the synagogue that they came from. And it's like, well, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I'm now a Christian, and it makes sense that I would pray to God like I did under the Old Covenant. There's nothing wrong with praying to God. It makes sense that I would worship God in song the same way I did under the Old Covenant. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm going to actually read sacred texts. And now these letters that we're reading now were actually spread to that early church, and they would read them like Scripture. And that we would, so we would pray, we would worship, we would uh, have scripture, we'd have a sermon, and we'd have communion just about every week. Now, in the New Testament, early on in Acts in Jerusalem, they were every day until, remember, Stephen gets martyred. Once Stephen's killed, the Bible says that God sends the church everywhere. And so then all of them are like moving to more of a weekly 
Sabbath meeting, but it didn't go on Sabbath anymore. They moved from Sabbath to Sunday, the Lord's Day. So the Sabbath was the old covenant. It was Judaism. Now I'm a Christian. I want to celebrate the, G- the day that Jesus rose from the dead, Sunday. So we started, they started worshiping on Sunday. And they had a call, an order of service that looked a lot like ours. That's where it came from. And so what I'm imagining, and maybe it's the lawyer in me, but I try to think, like, if we're going to take a biblical principle, what would be the counter response to it? And so I think if I took Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, I would have somebody be like, well, what you're talking about isn't what the old church did. So when the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the gathering or don't neglect the, the meeting together, he wasn't talking about what you do on Sunday mornings because what he was talking about was what was true then. And they had a more real intense. And then you get to like a house church. I got my own relationship with God. I don't have to be a part of that corporate body. The church is full of hypocrites. I'm with Jesus hanging out by myself. There's not that allowance here. What the writer of Hebrews has is that what he's telling them not to forsake, what he's telling them not to leave, what he's telling them not to abandon is likely exactly what we do here on a Sunday morning. And I'll say this, if you do that in a house church, you do that in an old church, you do that in a brand spanking new mega church, I don't have any issue with any of that. I just care that those orders, the things that we're supposed to do as believers, that we do them. All right, and so we have that thought here, like what is he saying, what he's saying not to forsake. Now, we got to look at the language here. So what does that forsake mean? And we look at the word forsake, and that's what I went off of, even though it's not in the NIV, but that's what the word means. It's to leave behind in some place, to desert, to forsake, to leave. This is the, Hebrew, this is the Greek. The biblical usage of this word, it usually means to abandon, to leave in straits. And so when we look at that word, and you're like, what's a strait? <laughs> like, um, a strait is this, like in old navig- uh, boat navigation, you would come in to a narrow strip of water. You need all hands on deck. You do not want to hit either side. You need your crew there. And the idea is like you, you've heard of, they, they left him in dire straits. It was a difficult situation. And if the idea here is that you're forsaking something that needed you, that you're forsaking something that was in danger, that you're forsaking something that actually needed your input, your participation in, and you're leaving that. So then the question that we're going to get to is like, how often can a Christian miss church? Like, just boil it down for me. How often, and I wish the Bible said it, thou shalt only miss this many days of church. It doesn't tell us that. So I want to ask you guys, if you were going to come up with a number, how many Sundays a year do you think a Christian should miss church? Dang. <laughs> Bell went high. He said five. <laughs> okay. Anybody else? Four. Junior's got four. Tanya says three. All right. Okay, so here's the thing. Y'all are all higher than I thought you'd be. <laughs> and I do want to point out, five Sundays, that's a month and a Sunday. You missed a month of Sundays plus a week. This is what I thought was going to happen. I thought that someone's going to be like two because I get two weeks off for vacation at work every year. And then maybe, and maybe, Bell, this is going to tie into your justification of your number. Or actually, Kanye, me and you are going to land on the same number. 
I get two weeks off for vacation every year, and then I get a week of sick leave. So in my mind, that's two Sundays plus one Sunday where I or a family member could be sick. Connie, am I close? Is that one of the reasons? Okay, three. Yeah, we got three. Um, and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but uh, think about the spirit with which we approach that question. Like, how many Sundays can I miss? Think about your significant other looking at you and being like, how many of dates can I not go on with you? You sit your kid down and you're like, how many soccer games can I not go to and still be okay? <laughs> Some of you are like, I did that. It's three. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. The spirit is, is like, it's a job. And I get two weeks off of vacation a year from my job. And I get a week of sick leave or I get two weeks of sick leave from my job. Therefore, I get to miss a month of Sundays. I believe this, that whenever we answer that question, how we approach that question, um, and I'm not throwing anybody on the bus, I don't care. I don't care how many you miss, and I'll get to that in a minute. It does reflect a little bit about our, like, how we were, our relationship with God. Because if I look at it like church is a job that I need at least two weeks off a year, um, then what I probably look at it like my Bible reading is a job. And it's a checkbox. It's a box I got to check before I get on the day and be in right standing with God. Or me not sinning is a checkbox that I have to check off so that I can be in right standing with God. And I'll just say this, y'all. I want us just to pivot away from that perspective and look at it a different way. Because a church is just a job, then my walk is probably just a job. Well, then people will be like, once again, we'll take the counter side. It's like, well, if my walk with God is bad, it's probably the church's fault. <clears throat> Maybe if the air conditioner worked on this side, I wouldn't have a bad, walk, a bad relationship with God. Notice it's always more crowded on this side. AC blows through these vents and not through these. You thought you were choosing in free will? No, it's designed. Anyways, also, if you're cold-natured, you're like, you got to switch. you got to move. Um, maybe if the church did a better job of discipleship. Maybe if the music was better. Maybe if the teacher was better. Maybe if the preacher was better. Maybe if the deacons were better. Then my walk with God would be better. That's not how it works, and we all know that. The truth is, is like I think my dad said before, is like great churches make great pastors. And we all know that that's probably a symbiotic relationship. And I do believe that the church bears that responsibility. What I think is this, great churches will have great pastor, pastors or they will change that leadership, right? And great pastors will help create great churches or that church will change its leadership. See what I did there? No matter what, the church actually made the decision. So you could have a good pastor in a bad church. And he's going to go there preaching the gospel, trying to lead, and he's going against the goad and everybody's not going to like it. And they're going to change that pastor out. They're going to get somebody else that, that the Bible says will be like soothing to their ears, right? And so we know that, and so I'll say this, and I, and I didn't want it to be about pastors, I want it to be about leadership. We all know that there's times where worship's good in here, and the band is great, and Jesse's drumming is awesome, but what made it banging was the Spirit of God in this crowd. And so if you want a great church, then, then be that church member. And if you want a great church, then you've got to be here to be that church member. And D.L. Moody once said that church attendance is as vital to the disciple 
as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood to a sick man. And so when I have the correct view of my walk with God and my walk with this church, when I come here, I'm coming. You ever know anybody on dialysis? That I'm coming and I'm actually getting dialysis and I can feel fresh blood coming into my veins through the Holy Spirit being here with you people. And it pumps me up and it gets me ready to go out for another week. But a lot of times we don't do that, right? We miss. Man, the enemy's so good. The, the miss starts as an innocent thing. Like it just happens. Like you get a the car problem or you get a sick kid or you're sick. And how quickly missing snowballs and how quickly it turns into more and more and more. And I'll just be vulnerable with you guys for a moment. I really enjoy Sunday mornings, even though I might, it's, it, I'll say Sunday mornings, Wednesday night, they're like a workout or a treadmill. Like, may not want to go sometimes, but when you get on it, when you get there, you're pumped and you're like, oh, God, I did this. And you're better for it after you leave. But when I get here, there are Sundays where you guys are like family. Like some of y'all, think about it, we're like closer than blood kin, this spiritual family that God's given us. And there's time where like the Holy Spirit's in worship, the Holy Spirit's in the preaching of the word, and I'm feeling stirred up, and I feel like God's working on my heart, and I think, and you're not here, and I think, man, I miss, I miss them. I wish they were here. Because I like worshiping together. I like it when we get together and the Holy Spirit moves. I like it when the sermon's that moving, and I think, man, they would have been encouraged by hearing that truth, but they're not going to hear it because they're not here. So if I'm vulnerable for, with you for a second, it's not that I want to nag you and tell you to get here because if you don't want to be here, who wants you here? What it is is that in the midst of us being able to worship together, and this is what I think happens on some Sundays, that the Bible says that God puts a Holy Spirit deposit in each of us, right? That we're all become filled with this Holy Spirit when we're Christians. And there are times where we're all walking in concert with God and his Holy Spirit. And, the, and for whatever reason, I'm not going to say the stars align because that's not religious, but the, something happens and we all end up here on the same Sunday, all filled with God's Holy Spirit. And the worship team's job just got that much easier. Because the truth is they could have stopped playing because all of the Holy Spirit and all of our hearts and minds has now filled this room and God's Holy Spirit shows up on top of that and the worship service is banging because we all fill with God's Holy Spirit and we are worshiping together. And the same thing goes with we have piercing truth preached from the pulpit. We're responding together. We're reacting together because we're all that walking close with God. We're that filled with His Holy Spirit and we are with kindred people in that. But then we miss and some of us, we're really good at sabotaging the great. Like God's got you on that education plan. And then you're like, you know what? I don't, my head does kind of hurt. I'm not going to go to class. And then that snowball happens there. Or you stop smoking. Mandel's out <laughs> on security. <laughs> Y'all pray for the Russells. Mandel, stop smoking. And I bet, listen, if you've ever gone through nicotine withdrawals, you're angry. You're angry at the world. So we need to pray for them. You know, you quit smoking, and it's just that one, that one time. Like, you, you could have a victory, and think of how quickly it slips back. And I don't think smoking is like the great sin. But it just happens that one cigarette, man, you can't stop. After that, it's like, it's so, I'll say cool, not cool. It's so interesting how nicotine can stay with you that long. That that much later, you can hit it again and be like, whoo, I want another one. But we're really good at sabotaging what God's doing a lot of times in our life. And the enemy just plays on that every time. So 
I'm vulnerable. I'll tell you guys, hey, I don't want you to miss. I, I want you here because I enjoy worshiping together. I enjoy being discipled together and hearing God's word together. And I also throw out there, listen, I'm not over here crying like, oh, Kanye, why would you come back? Um, because I know this, God shows up regardless. God will show up in his believers regardless. I just want you to be a part of it when he does. The other thing I do, and it doesn't happen the first Sunday, I worry a little bit. And I know you're like, we're not supposed to worry. It's a, I would think it's a Christian worry. Because I know how quickly it, it goes down that you're forsaking the gathering is you forsaking the walk. That a lot of times when we forsake the gathering, we forsook the walk. We're not reading the Bible, we're not praying, and therefore we're not drawn. If anything, we don't want to go because I don't want somebody to upset me. And think about it. If we look back at the Bible, Jesus says that this good shepherd, he leaves 99 to go after the one. Not just to hang out with the one, give him one-on-one, just pour into him personally. No, he went to get the one to bring him back and restore him to the 99. In 1 John 2.19, we don't have to turn there. You know what, let's turn there. 1 John 2.19. It's to the right. Right? They're really short chapters. It's hard to find it. And this isn't directly applicable, but I'm throwing out the principle. He says in verse 18, so 2.18, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, uh, Davion's been teaching on Revelation. Don't freak out. These are just people that are anti, literally anti-Christ. They're anti-Jesus. They're all around us, not the big major one that Davion's probably been teaching about in Revelation. But many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. In verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going out showed that none of them belonged to us. These are people that left. And this is the good news that we have. Like, we get to throw out just a general invitation for people to come to church. For those that are lost, for those that are really anti-God, they can't stay. They leave. Now, Ledger, are you saying that everybody that's ever left the church is anti- No. Some people just moved. I mean, like, they liked another church's carpet better. Um, but if somebody stays under the preaching of the Word and the Holy Spirit, like, come in and worship like we have here, they won't stay long if they're, not, if they're not saved. And so here's the deal. Like it's the nine, he leaves the 99 to get the one to restore. If they leave, they weren't of us. They left because they weren't of us. In the Old Testament, before the judgment comes, we know that the judgment came because the Israelites had forsaken the ceremonies, the gatherings, all of the practices that were, helped them remember the things that God had done. And so over and over again, it indicates that your walk with God is actually shifting and struggling. And I'll tell you this, it's as clear as day when it happens. I can tell you, I can, it's like a toddler trying to steal a cookie in front of mom. But, uh. And the mom was like, what you got, right? You can see it a mile away. I, you can see it when someone's drifting from God in this service and then it's usually the cherry on top when they don't come back. And the Bible says, hey, we're supposed to go get that brother. We're supposed to go after him. We're supposed to restore them back. But over and over again, this is what happens. In, your, in our sinful delusion, the enemy does this. He's like, hey, you're sick. Do not go today. 
Don't go. And listen, if you got fever, you probably shouldn't go. Um, and you can attend online. Um, but anyway, so yeah, he's like, you're sick. Don't go today. And then, you know what? You know you're not really sick, but have you ever had the moment you didn't want to go to work? Jalen, I know you got me here, bro. It's like, it's like, my head's kind of hurting. Like, I really don't feel good. And it's like your brain created a health condition for you to not have to do what your brain didn't want it to do. So that's how it starts. But all the while, the enemy's just getting to our, an idle mind as a devil's workshop, a devil's playground. He's getting there. When we're not here, it's something that happens. And he's able to begin to work his plan out. And he takes us down this road. And just remember that your delusion about your sin isn't usually as strong on us as it is on you. Like us is from looking at the outside. We know he's drinking again. We know he's lost the joy. She's back with that, with a new guy, with all the issues of the old guy. We know that we look at them, they're back. If you had like an honest conversation with them, they're back in pornography again. They're worshiping money again. That means they got to go to, they got to work every Sunday. Not that I'm not throwing anybody on the bus has to work. I know that happens sometimes. Or she just re-enlisted the corporate slavery she had been in. Walking with, the, walking with the job and not walking with Jesus. So a lot of times we needed the corporate body because that outside perspective is like, hey girl, what are you doing? You already went down this path. Don't do it again. Bro, what are you doing? You've already gone down this. You saw there was no fruit at the end of this. What are you doing? So what happens is Satan gets us alone. He pounces on us. We're vulnerable. He takes that. And then we're that much harder to get back. And it all started just by the discipline of going to church. Now, a lot of y'all grew up in homes where, can, let's just ask, who grew up in a home where you were at church every Sunday? Okay. All right. And then Davion did not raise his hand. Oh. <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, so here we go. Um, some of you grew up, and so you know this verse. Your parents probably quoted it to you. My parents were the kind, there's a Christian comedian, is like, you went to church every Sunday, and like, you try to fake sick, and your mom's like, throw up and prove it. And, and then he's like, even if you did throw up, they were like, now don't you feel better? Let's go to church. <laughs> Some of you grew up like that was just a discipline. And let me just throw this out there. I believe that even for a lost person, going to any church is probably going to make them a better person. Now, this is not to say anything about their relationship with God or whether or not they'll go to heaven or hell. They won't. Just going to church doesn't do that. You know, the old pastor's like, your mom can save you a seat in church, but she can't save you a seat in eternity. Um, we know that, that that's true. But I believe this. If you just came to church and if you just create the discipline that your kids are going to come to church every Sunday, you are teaching them really great lessons. They know how to be consistent with something. And if some of you, you know, they know how to be on time. No judgment there. Um, if you don't let them play on their phone for the entire service, they actually learn how to listen to a lecture, which might help them in every area of their life. So they can learn about a work ethic. They can learn about how to treat older people, how to treat younger people. Some people, I never held a baby until Ethan was born. And maybe I would have if I'd gone to the nursery or the church. I don't know. <laughs> But they learn how to interact with all sorts of different people. There's a lot of practical good. For an adult, if you were going to move to any city, I would tell you to go get connected to a church. Just practically, and this is once again separating my spiritual beliefs from just practicality. Practically, I know that if you're going to go get a job, you'll meet an employer at church. You're going to meet a corporate person at church. You're going to meet somebody that you can connect to in community that will help you at that church. They'll be able to tell you where to, if you're selling 
whatever, they'll be able to tell you who sells that there and who you can connect with. That is a lot of practical benefit from just going to church beyond all the spiritual stuff that we've talked about. But a lot of times we forsake that. And so let's go back now to verse 24. And we're not going to take long. He says here in verse 24, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It's one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And I didn't even understand it until I, as much until I prepared for this. Because if we look at the word, so if we look at the word um, in this passage, it's, it's spur. Some of you are going to say stir up. Some are going to say stimulate. Um, first, let's talk about consider. The biblical usage of consider is to perceive, to remark, to observe, to consider attentively, fixing one's mind on. And I had a moment of conviction. How many times have I actually considered how I might spur you on? How many times have you considered how you're going to spur somebody else on? See, a lot of times our prayer life, we know, it's for y'all, I'm like, I'm still a high school junior in my prayer life. I'm like, God, I got a test today I hadn't studied for. Please help me. Um, And a lot of times my prayer life becomes about me. How often have we just sat down and thought, how can I encourage my brothers and sisters and people in this church to, to love and good deeds? And if you're like me, it's not as often as you should. So I want to encourage you, if listen, if the church is healthier as ever been, that doesn't mean we get complacent. It means that we still strive to be better and to walk more closely with God, to be used more by God. And if I'm going to do that, then I have to ask myself, I want to sit down and say, how can I spur my brothers and sisters on to be better Christians and walk more closely with God? So we need to consider that. Now listen, the spur, NIV says spur. Another translation says provoke. I always thought, who, who says stir up? All right, so I like the stir up because that sounds really nice. Like we're going to stir up your emotions and get you rallied up. The passage here, the word provoke, this is what it means in the Greek. Incitement, dispute, contention, provoke unto. And the biblical usage is inciting, incitement, irritation. So this is what I like about this passage is that he's saying, have you ever had somebody like coax you into a fight? Come on, come on, come on. Content, yeah, to th- today. <laughs> um, that is the language that he's using. It's contentious. And it's this pushing, like, come on, come on, come on. And I want you to rise up. I'm going to provoke you, Willie, into love and good deeds. And that means if you're sedentary, you're lazy, you don't want to be bothered, then you know what? Somebody needs to come and shove you in a nice way, figuratively. Because you got to wake up to love and good deeds. And so one of the things that wakes us up from our own selfishness and how much we constantly focus on ourselves and our family and God's plan for our lives and everything, me, 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 is that when I come here, I'm pushed a bit to actually consider other people. I'm pushed by them to love and good deeds. And the word love here is the word for agape love. This is a God love. And the works here, I wanted it to be something nice and like sweet, like, you know, kindness, gentleness. Um, it wasn't fruit. It, the only word here is toil. <laughs> you got to work. A job, 
occupation, labor. And so for a lot of us, we actually need somebody to actually push us, to wake us up from that so that we go and we do the love and the good deeds. So let's take, let's look at the whole passage here. When we look at the whole passage, we see hold fast. Don't waver. Hold fast to the hope. Consider how you're going to stir up one another, how you're going to provoke one another, how you're going to spur one another on to love and good deeds, all right? Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves as is the manner or the habit of some. Now, this was a conglomerate of different translations I just recited to you. But you see the passage, how it works? If you're a Christian, hold fast. If you're a Christian, stir up other Christians. And if you're a Christian, don't forsake gathering together. So here's the question. How, how many Sundays can you miss? Uh, no, stop. Okay. <laughs> this is what I'll say. As many as God tells you to. <laughs> but we don't ever ask God, right? We never think about that. We don't, it's, it's assumed. Well, I've, got my, my, I've already put in for my vacation and God approved it. <laughs> you know, like... Um, I submitted the time off request. I don't understand what's holding us up here. So the question is, is how many Sundays can you miss? How many meetings can you forsake? And I think that the answer is going to be different for each of us in every different situation. You're going to have surgeries that happen. You're going to have sickness that happens. And nobody wants you bringing your feverish kid up to the nursery. But it's going to be like you in that moment asking God, hey, God, and, and you'll, I believe you'll know in your gut. And let me say this, I'm kind of crazy me and Alicia, we left Destin one time at 3.30 in the morning to be here for church on Sunday. <laughs> we left on a Sunday morning to get here. Um, crazy in two ways. I like church that much, and two, um, I like waking up really early to leave. And so here's what we got. We, got. we can miss as many times as we want to and God allows. And then after that, we need to ask ourselves these questions. Am I still holding fast? Am I still stirring up, looking for ways to start my brothers and sisters? And lastly, am I forsaking the assembly of the, of the, of the believers? So here's the, this is what we got. Verse 24, if we go back to say, who's a Christian? Verse 23, wayward Christians and non-Christians can't handle it. Like I believe that the church will drive them out. Like the Holy Spirit will drive them out. The same Holy Spirit that drives you to worship is the same Holy Spirit that will pull on their heart, drive them crazy, and they will go out the door. They'll leave. They can't be here that often. They have to forsake the assembling of themselves because they can't bear up under God's Holy Spirit that much and the preaching of his word that much. They can't deal with it. And so for the verse, we have verse 23 that gets 24, that gets 25. And if you can't handle that and you forsake the assembly of yourselves, then you end up in verse 26. And this is all I'll say about 26. Because everybody's going to have their own theology and doctrine that determines how they interpret verse 26. But one thing I think that Methodist, Calvinist, Presbyterian, whatever, and Baptists can all agree on, verse 26 is not good. <laughs> and if I'm a believer, I don't want to end up with verse 26 having anything to do with my life. And so what I want to ask you today is this. As we look and we're, we're growing spiritually, and I believe that God's growing the church and strengthening the church, this is what I ask. I ask that we act like the family that we are. And we don't look at each other and say, how many times can I not be here? It's a spirit of I want to be here, sometimes I can't. 
and that you ask yourselves, hey, am I gonna be the one that left off? Like my Holy Spirit deposit in me didn't show up that Sunday just to tip us that much further towards God's throne and worship. Are you gonna be that one? And then if we take that a step further, then I start thinking, well, what a second, what if my, what if my extramarital habit, what if my porn addiction, what if my drug addiction, what if my alcoholism, what if all of that actually grieves the Holy Spirit in me and then I go into church on Sunday and then I'm, pulling, I'm dragging down the body and worship because of what I, the way I lived. So now it's not just enough for me to attend, it's enough for me to walk with God and attend and then look to stir people up and I'm spurring on the body of Christ to do what God's called it to do. And then lastly, I'll throw this out there and we're gonna close. A church like that, I wanna invite somebody to. Now listen, if you're from the suburbs, you're like, I can't invite them, they're too scared. (laughs) Whatever. A church like that, I told our youth, I was like, you know, you don't feel comfortable talking about God. You don't feel comfortable sharing your faith or whatever. One of the best ways you can share your faith is you can just invite somebody to church. And no, that is not the equivalent of sharing your faith, but it will at least get the gospel exposed to them and somebody can evangelize them while they're here. It's, most people are like, well, that's not exactly evangelism. And then it's like, well, would you rather them not invite anybody to church and not evangelize? Let's at least invite people to church. So I want to ask that we all come together, that we contribute to one another, that we bring that Holy Spirit deposit in our walk with God to this body, and then we're going to see God do great things. And we look around and we're like, man, this is, this is awesome. I love it here. I love what God's doing every Sunday. But there's people that do not get to experience that. And so we don't get to be selfish and enjoy the Christian club. We have to invite other people here to be saved and to experience it with us and have God's healing provided to them too. So let's stand up real quick. Listen, if you're here and you feel like God's working on you, that God's trying to encourage you to take, take a different approach to church, then I encourage you to make that commitment to God. If you're here and you know that your own sin, like God's been getting you off one, I mean, not that Satan's been getting you off one-on-one and just praying on you and keeping you from this, keeping you from this corporate body, then listen, this altar's open. You can come and you can be repentant. You can pray with someone here. If you're here and you're not a member of the church and maybe, hey, you know what? I want to be a part of that. Well, then maybe today's the day that you join in this effort. You join into the church. But no matter what, I'll say this. You cannot be a Christian. You cannot be a Christian in right standing with God and constantly forsake a gathering of believers. And so I would encourage you, if you're somebody you kind of get loose on the attendance, tighten that up as best you can. And God's gracious and patient in the midst of it. But be here. We want you here. We miss you. And you're vulnerable when you're not. All right, so let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that it's not our works. Lord, we can come here every day. And Lord, if we don't know you, if we don't walk with you, then it means nothing. So God, I pray that our church, this church, God, will be a church where people have spent time in prayer and Bible study through the week. They've checked on each other through the week. They've broken bread together through the week. And then God, they show up here and it's just a celebration. That God, we get to just enjoy worshiping and sharing in your Holy Spirit together. That God, we get to confess our sins one to another. That God, we get to give each other advice and pray for one another. God, that is what heaven's going to be like. And if somebody experiences a church service like that and thinks, I don't want to go to heaven if it's like that, then God, they're not. So Lord, I pray for that person. If they're lost, God, and they need to come to salvation, Lord, I pray that today will be the day for them. And your Holy Spirit will weigh on their heart and that you'll use these songs or that we're about to sing and this invitation to bring them to you. 
And we pray this all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.